For those of y'all who don't know me, I'm Gary McIntyre. I'm the pastor of Digital Ministry. I'm going to start over. I'm the pastor of Digital Ministries and Senior Adults. My neighbors, they created their own little thing because they think this is the craziest combination of titles that they've ever heard. Uh, And so they call me the Digital Senior Adult Pastor of IT, and they call it DSAPIT. All right, so apparently if you put something on my desk with a title, it would be DSAPIT. That's who I am. So earlier in the week, I got to meet with Alan Jackson and uh, go over some of the talking points and stuff like this. And one of the things he wanted to make sure that I got out there was this. Good morning. Lame. Good morning. All right. You can scratch that off the list now. All right. So now we can dive full into this thing. All right. Normally at this time, I'm behind that set of doors and the other set of doors. I'm sitting in the the lobby out there and I'm on my computer and I'm monitoring the service online. That's something I get to do. It's something I love to do. And and so it's it's just so much fun doing that. And I'm, I'm aware that at this particular time, we probably have a lot of people maybe even listening in their cars as they're traveling back from wherever they've been. And I'm mindful of the fact that it's dangerous out there. There's a lot of people on the road. There's hazards and stuff. But, I mean, even the, the fog, just, what was it, a month or so ago, there was this tragic crash in Louisiana on an interstate. I think it left 163 cars damaged, 63 people injured, and 8 people killed. One guy who was in the middle of this crash, because there was no visibility. There was just a mixture of fog, and apparently they have marsh fires, like that's the thing, I guess. And so those all thing all came together, and there was no visibility. And the guy, he said he was out there in this pocket of cars that somehow didn't get hurt. But all he heard in the middle of that was bam, bam, bam. It might have sounded just like that. I don't know. But I imagine it had to have been incredibly, incredibly scary. Because you get in the middle of something like that, and you don't know what to do. Do you swerve? Do you hit the brakes? Do you just drive through and hope that everybody else in front of you is doing the exact same thing? Because when you can't see because you're in the fog, that's a scary, scary, scary place. And we've all been there. We've all been there to some extent. And you might imagine how easy it is to transition from this whole thing about the fog and stuff being out there on the road to the fog and stuff that's being in our lives. Because it's not much different. It's not much different when stuff starts hitting us from all sides and we don't know what to do. And we don't know where to stop, where to pause, where to uh, just, just go full steam ahead as if nothing's happened. We just don't know because the fog is confusing. We've all been in the fog. We've all had moments when something hit us so unexpectedly that we were left stunned and we're left reeling. We've all had moments that maybe we might have seen the fog come rolling in, but we didn't know what to do about it. We saw it coming. It's there, but maybe we freeze or something. So here's what I want you to know. Because I'm aware that as I look around this room, I'm fully aware that as many of you leave this foggy place, you're going to still be enveloped by that fog that you brought in with you. It's a tough, tough place to be. It's the same fog. I mean, it keeps you up at night. 
It's the same fog that just has you like, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know where to go. So if you walk away from this room with one place in mind, I want it to be this. Though you might be blind in the fog, you're not alone in the fog. I look at David because he had this moment in his life of just gratitude. Because he was able to look back and see everything that God had done in his life that brought him from where he was in the beginning to where he is now. And it was just amazing. And he was overwhelmed with gratitude because he, he asked God, he said, I want to build you a house. Because it's not right that you dwell in a tent and I get all this nice stuff. And God said, no, I'm, I'm not going to let you build me a house. I'm not even done building your house. And he started throwing out promise after promise after promise. And we see that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 18, David was just left with overwhelming gratitude. It said, then King David went in and he sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you've brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. And he keeps going on and he's praying and he's just gracious about this. You'll never find the worst things. You'll never find the word gratitude in this passage. But this whole passage is full of that. Because he's able to look back and see what God has done. He says, therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you according to all we've heard with our ears. And then he begs, now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you've spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you've spoken. And your name will be magnified forever. And it just goes on and on and on because David is overwhelmed with this gratitude because he was able to look back and see all the stuff that God had done for him but how did he get to that point you ever watch one of those tv shows where you kind of start with all this stuff just going on and it's like what's going on and then it says 48 hours earlier and then it takes you back in time and then you kind of see how it got there well we're going to do that because we're going to look at david because we're going to see that promises were made to this kid this 15 year old kid that he must have just woke up one morning and go, all right, man, I got to go to work again. And he woke up the next morning and they told him he was going to be king. So God told the prophet Samuel, hey, I'm done with the current king. I need you to go find the next king. And so Samuel sets out. And Samuel's looking for this guy. And God's like, nope, 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 nope. Finally, David comes along. And God's like, there he is. And Samuel's like, eh, is he really? That's him? Not this guy? No, it was David. And so now David, all of a sudden, is being anointed king at 15 years old by the great prophet. Now, if you're 15 years old and you're thinking that, hey, man, maybe I can grow up and be king. You're probably not going to happen, but hold on to your dreams. So, so now God has got to put David where he needs to be so he can make him king. And so now God put this spirit of unrest on Saul's heart. And the solution to that seemed to be music. Well, David happened to be a musician. So let's go find this guy, David, and let's bring him into the palace. And so there he is. He's playing his little whatever thing he's playing, strummy thingy. And he, he, Saul is like, he likes this a lot. But I have to imagine now, and you would too, think about it. You're David. And you get in the palace the throne room and stuff, you're kind of looking around. Hey, this is, 
this is kind of nice. I mean, I, I kind of like this. I mean, a throne looks a little bit uncomfortable, but when I'm king, oh, I'm going to make some changes around here. You're looking around, it's like, I just can't wait to be king. You know, he's got that thing going on. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he did. I don't know. He, like, maybe he got Hebrew. I don't know how it translates in the Hebrew, but I mean, I'm sure he had that thought in mind because you would have to, and I would have to. He's scoping this place out all the while. He, during this time, he had to go back and forth between being with Saul and being home. But the whole time he was Saul, you know, he's going like, you know, one day, this is all going to be mine. One day. And so now, one day, David is at home. He has to go back to where Saul was. And he came back and he was just like, what is going on? What's happened since I've been gone? Because all of a sudden he sees this big giant out in the middle of this big field. And it's taunting Israel and it's taunting God. And David didn't want to have anything to do with that. So he went and found Saul. He goes, gets on Saul. He says, how are you allowing this to happen? And Saul's like, I don't know. I don't know if he said it just like that. But he just... Saul's not in control of the situation, and he should be. And so David said, fine, I'm going to take over. And Saul lets this 15-year-old kid go out and fight the battle for Israel. And there were consequences for this. Because whoever won this fight, the other side was going to be their slave. And so Goliath was kind of big. So you understand, uh, I don't know. That was Saul's point. David didn't care. David went out there, picked up five stones, rushed at him into woo, 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 thing. Sounded just like that. And so the giant fell and he's like, huh, you know, that head would look pretty good on my shelf. And so that's what he did. Apparently that was a thing back then. And so he did that and he goes back to Saul and Saul's like, all right, good job. Good job. But things started getting foggy because all of a sudden Saul put David in control of like his army and stuff. David started having successes that Saul didn't appreciate. They were singing in the streets about how David slayed his ten thousands and Saul slayed his thousands. That's pretty good for David. But you understand, Saul might have been a little bit upset at that. Pride only goes so far. And so he decided, even though David is living the dream, the fog is rolling in. Saul decides that he's going to kill David. And so now Saul, they're in his little room one day, and Saul looks over, and he sees a spear. And he says, hey, this is kind of a nice spear. You know where it would look really good? Right in the middle of David. He missed, which makes me think that might be the reason he didn't go out and fight Goliath. Maybe he wasn't any good. And so now he does it again. Then he does it again. He misses three times. And by this time, David's kind of getting the beginning to suspect, hey, something's not right. And so he, he, he's out of there. But somehow they reconcile. This happens over and over again. They reconcile. They come back together. But now this is an endless loop. And Saul wants David dead. So he has several solutions. Well, I'm going to send him out to fight the Philistines. That'll kill him. It did not. Well, I'm going to give him one of my daughters in marriage. That will certainly kill him. He said, nope, I don't want that. <laughs> so later on... He's given the opportunity to marry another daughter of Saul, but there was a price. And this is where Saul thought he was particularly clever. You 
want my daughter? Then you're going to have to go out there and bring back proof that you killed 100 Philistines. And David said, okay. And he brought back 100 more just to be sure. And Saul's just like, what does I got to do? It shouldn't be this hard to kill somebody. And so something happens. Finally, David eventually flees for his life. He finds Samuel. We don't have an account of what was asked, but you know there were questions. Like David had to have been, what is going on? Remember that time you did the oil thing on my head and you said I was going to be king? Well, the king's trying to kill me. What, how does this formula work? And so he kept running from place to place to place. And he spends the next several weeks, months, and years navigating through fog that he never saw coming. And it just keeps getting thicker and thicker and thicker. But I need you to know this. Even though David was blind in the fog, he wasn't alone in the fog. Everything that was going on in David's life was preparing him for the big thing that God had in mind for him. And all this went on for about 15 years. That's a lot of fog. Now, some of y'all might be thinking, I've been in fog my whole life. I'd be happy with just 15. I get that. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So now, eventually, David becomes king. And he's put right where God wanted him to be. And he says, God, how is it fair that I live in a house and you live in a tent? And that takes us back to where we started a few minutes ago, where David is just overwhelmed with gratitude for all the things that God did. And how could he not be? How could he not have gratitude considering everything God did for him? How could he not be overwhelmed by God's faithfulness considering that the same God that had led him through the fog... This same God just promised David that he would continue to do so now and in the future. How can you not be overwhelmed by that? Now, David has more fog coming, a lot of it of his own making. A, a fog that, that, that results from adultery, lying, and murder. A fog that resulted uh, in the death of a child. A fog that causes David to confess to God against you. Above all, have I sinned. But God's in that fog too. And he's going to learn that. Christian, our story is no different. Though we might be blind in the fog, we're not alone in the fog. And the same God who works on behalf of his people is the same God that will continue to work on behalf of his people. And we can rest in the promise that he who started a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 1. I've experienced this. I've seen this in my own life. Now things are about to get a little bit personal. Prior to coming to Dunwoody Baptist Church, I'd been in IT for about 15 years and student ministry for about 30-something years. I gave up full-time IT work to do full-time student ministry. I did that for about 10 years. But at the end of that 10 years, I mean, probably about the last five years of that, I started seeing the fog just coming in, and it's rolling, and it's rolling in. And I'm thinking, every Christmas, I'm thinking, I wonder if this is going to be my last Christmas here. Every Christmas for about five years. And so I made a decision that if that moment comes, I wasn't going to fight it. I wasn't going to do anything that was going to harm the church. I wasn't going to burn it to the ground. I wasn't going to bring a scorched earth policy. I would just go because I didn't want the church to be hurt. 
And so February 2019, I'm watching the Super Bowl. And I get the text. I need you to come in my office at 8 o'clock in the morning. Okay. And I went back and finished the game. I knew what was coming. I knew exactly what was coming. And it did. And I packed up my stuff. And I left. But I wasn't that worried. Because the fog didn't seem that thick. I didn't think it was going to last that long. Because I thought I was going to get scooped up. Because who wouldn't want this? I mean, that was kind of my mindset because I had a lot of things that I did at that church. And I thought any church would just love to have this. All right. I worked with kids. I'd wear whatever suit you wanted me to at vacation Bible school. I worked with senior adults. I did the, the, the newsletter. I did the, the, the bulletin, graphic design. I was the webmaster. I did student ministry, which was, that was my job. Uh, I just had all this stuff that I had done some good stuff with. And I'm thinking, man, some other church is going to see this on a resume and go that guy. And I was wrong. I mean, I, I was very, very wrong. And then, just as if the fog couldn't get any thicker, I had to do something that made me absolutely, probably the most miserable I've ever been in my life. I had to learn how to go to church. Because for as long as I can remember, I was always on staff. I was always being asked to do something, whether it is fix the slides, do this, run the slides, run the sound, uh, preach, teach. Somebody comes to me, hey, I need help with this. I love that. I absolutely love that. So I end up at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church visiting one day, and I'm like, what is this? This is huge. Then I'm like, lost, as lost could be. I mean, I don't even know how guest parking works. All right, so next thing I know, I go in this place. I don't know where to go. Nobody's coming to me. No one's asking me for any help. No one's going to ask me to preach. No one's going to ask me to teach. And I am just, I'm not depressed, but I mean, the fog, it was just getting thicker and thicker and thicker. And what really almost set me over the edge is we're in this worship service, this contemporary service one day, and a couple of aisles over, some lady pulls out her tambourine and just goes at it. I'm like, what is happening I was so, so miserable. And about six months has passed now. And I started going to another church. Hey, do y'all have tambourines? And so I started going to another church. And I got a volunteer staff position at that church. And I started teaching classes. And I went back to school. And I interviewed to become pastor of a church. Uh, and, and that was just moving along. And the fog began to start clearing. I'm like, all right, I think the end is in sight. COVID. That just shut everything down. COVID brings its own special kind of fog with it. It, was, it wasn't that great. It wasn't that great. Yet, I had confidence that God was getting me ready for something, something better. Because even though I was blind in the fog, I wasn't alone in the fog. I used to sit out outside of my garage on my driveway, and I have a wide open view of the sky, and I would be looking out at it. And I was just marvel that the same God that positioned those stars and put them in place was the same God that was positioning me to be put in place somewhere. And I used to sit and look at the stars and go, hey, I wonder what the other side of those stars look like, because that's how my mind works. And then it hit me, God knows. God knows what the other side of the stars look like. 
That same God is the one who's guiding me through this fog that I'm in. The fog was at peace, or the fog was thick, but I was at peace in it. So, about three years ago, I get a text or something from my son, Josh. He and his wife, Caroline, were members here. And he said something along the lines of this. Hey, DBC's creating a new IT job, and you need a job. He wasn't wrong. I needed a job. I didn't want an IT job. I didn't want to get back in that field again. I left that for full-time ministry, and I loved it. There was nothing I wanted to do more. But I needed a job. And I figured, well, if I'm going to take an IT job, I'll take it at a church. At least maybe I can serve along the way. And so I got in touch with this guy named Alan Talia Farrow. Now, when I met him, he introduced himself as Alan Tolliver, and I've quickly surmised that he doesn't know how letters work. <laughs> and, so, and so now, we kind of go back and forth over the next month or so, and at one point, I'm like, okay, kinda, have they filled the position yet? What's the deal? What's the deal? So I, I, I send Alan an email, hey, has the position been filled yet? And he says something along the lines of, yeah, we've closed applications for the position is down between you and one other internal person. I'm going like, why? I need a job. And so, and then he said, asked a question. He said, hey, uh, do you have anything else you're pursuing? (laughs) What's that mean? Is he saying you're really not that strong a candidate? I don't know. But I'm like, oh my gosh, what's, what's going on? And the fog starts getting thicker and thicker and thicker. And so I responded with this email. And I looked it up because every once in a while I like to look back and see how things became the way they are. And I wanted to know how it was that I was so richly blessed to be where I, that happened to me, that got me here. And so now I go back and read this email that I send to Alan and it says this. It says, I'm in a critical stage. I'm fairly confident that whatever decision I will make will determine my career in ministry for most of the rest of my life. I've put my trust in God to position me where he wants me. And with all that in mind, I'm excited for the opportunity, especially if I get to treat it not just as an IT position, but as a technology ministry position. I go on to write about a couple other things. And I close with what I think might be the most audacious. Nope, that ain't right either. Bold thing that I've ever said. Words are hard. Audacious. So I write what might be the most audacious thing that I've ever written in my life. I'm reading it now and I can't believe I wrote this. I said, with that goal in mind, I would be very excited to be able to serve as the IT director if I was also able to serve as part of the ministry staff. I don't know how this happened. I don't. All I know is through the fog, God was weaving me in and out. All the experiences that I had, that end up somehow here on the ministry staff. I mean, I don't know how I would react to that if I received that. It is crazy because all these things that I wanted to do, I'm getting to do. Because I get to look back and see, though I wasn't blind in the fog. Though I was blind in the fog, I wasn't alone in the fog. 
I was able to see that the, the same God who, who was pulling me through the fog will continue to work on my behalf past the fog. And it's just incredibly, incredibly mind-blowing to me that this is where I have ended up. See, I can't identify with David's story. I can't identify with someone coming at you and just chunking spears at you. Well, I can. I worked in the student ministry. But I can't imagine someone trying to come up to me and kill me out of jealousy and rage. I can't imagine that. But I have had my feet swept out from under me. And I have been left wondering, what just happened? I'm also aware that my fog is not your fog. I mean, I know and I'm confident that if I knew what some of y'all were going through, that, that I would be reeling under the weight of it. But I want you to get these next few things I'm about to say. Though our fog is different, our God is not. And the same God that worked... On behalf of his children is the same God that will continue to work on behalf of his children. And the deeper his children are in the fog, the more he makes his presence known to his children. See, God, he thrives in the fog. God does his best work in the fog. It's in the fog where we are most open to seeking him. God does his best molding in the darkness. See, the fog is tough. The fog is scary. We can't see through it. And so the best we can do is focus on what light we have and trust God to be in it while he's guiding us through it. See, the fog, it tries to hide the light, but it can't. It tries to team up with the darkness to quench the light, but it can't. John writes in his gospel that the darkness is helpless against the light. I heard a preacher say once that if you went into the deepest, darkest cave and, and you opened a bag and you scooped up as much darkness as you could and you tried to squeeze it in tight to that bag, if you were to take that bag of darkness and just throw it at a lit flame, that darkness would flee. Now, you might be thinking, but I can't see the light. There's too much fog. But let me assure you of this. The only reason you can even see the fog is because there is light. But I get it. I get it. Maybe there's rumors of layoffs, and you think you're on the list. Maybe you received a report back from a doctor in the news isn't good. And that fog just keeps getting thicker and thicker and thicker. Maybe you have some addiction you desperately want to shrug off, but its hold on you seems inexplicably strong. Maybe you've lost someone and the loss has left you paralyzed. Maybe I don't even have enough maybes to hit every soul-crushing concern in this room. But be assured, you're not alone in your situation. You're not alone in the fog. Let me tell you something else about light. Light is easier to see in the dark. There is no amount of darkness that can overcome God's light. There is no amount of darkness that can cause God to pause and rethink his intentions. There's no amount of uh, darkness that can keep God from finding us. For in his eyes, we're not lost. There is nothing in the fog that prevents God from being with us. And though we might be blind in the fog, we are not alone in the fog. But how long will it last? I don't know. Days? Weeks? Months? 
years? Will it? Will it end? I mean, some of us might never escape the fog this side of heaven, and that's tough to hear. But Christian, let me assure you of this. The fog is not the end. It's just a scary pathway through. See, the end of our lives is not the end of our story. Our lives are found in a book that has no closing chapter. It has no last page, no back cover. We live in the prologue. Our lives are the introduction to an eternal story, an eternal story where we will no longer have to, to look and see all this fog because the, fullness, the fog can't stand against the fullness of God's glory. But I'm in it now. I know. I would encourage you to find a place absent from distraction and ask God to help you look backwards and see those places where God made himself known to you. Now, maybe you find yourself struggling with this. That's okay. Just keep coming back. Keep trying it. Because you're going to find that God reveals these things to you over time. You're going to find that God opens your eyes so that you can see him working in your day-to-day life. As you make a practice of doing this, don't be surprised if you find that all of a sudden the light becomes a little bit easier to see. All of a sudden, you know, the fog doesn't seem to be as thick as it was a little bit ago. Your attitude might change. And in that change, you might find yourself overwhelmed with gratitude, much like me, much like David. Could you see... Attitude drives gratitude, and gratitude drives attitude. It's something of a, a, a taste and see that the Lord is good carousel. And it's a, it's a circle, and it keeps cycling. Attitude drives gratitude. Gratitude drives attitude. We're about to sing a song about the goodness of God. A song that looks back and reflects. A song that testifies to God All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. I encourage you not to be in a hurry to leave because all of the busyness of the season will be out there waiting for you when you exit those doors. Right now, do this for yourself. Take a moment and sing and reflect. Because after all, how can we not find gratitude when we consider everything God has done for us? How can we not be overwhelmed by God's faithfulness when we consider that the same God that's led us through the fog is the same God that will continue to do so now and in the future? How can we not be grateful? Because though we have been blind in the fog, we are not alone in the fog. God, there's a lot of fog that we brought in this room with us. And God, we're going to leave with a lot of fog because it seems to linger. It seems to hang around. But God, we, we can be confident of this. We might be blind in the fog. We might not know where to go. We might not know where the next step is. But we know we're not alone in the fog. And God, we know that it's easier to look backwards in the fog and we can see the things that you've been doing to get us where we are. And God, we know that you're not done with us, that you started a good work in us and, and you're going to complete that work because you said you were going to. 
And we can trust in that. God, help us to know that whatever happens in this fog, it's not the end of our story. It's just the beginning of a much, much larger story. One where we get to experience you in all your glory. You who want to do so much for us because you are a God who loves and cares for his children. God, thank you that we're not alone in the fog. God, be with us as we see. church let's worship Jesus with one voice and one sound as we declare his goodness help me sing this out I love you Lord for your mercy never fails me all my days I've been held in your From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God All my life Cause all my life you have been faithful In all my life you have been so, so I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend, and I have lived in the goodness of God. Come on, sing his praise today.
Cause all my life Cause all my life you have been We thank you Lord Cause all my life you have been so, so kind With every breath that I am That's a great, great word.